Well, take your Bible, if you would, uh, today and turn with me, whether you're online with us, radio, here in the room, and turn with me to Job chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series, Job, Uh, The Struggle is Real. And as you're turning there, uh, let me just uh, take a little pause before we jump into the sermon, and let's have a little family chat, a little first church uh, chat. Uh, As you know, and and something I share with every uh, newcomer class that comes uh, to first church that we as a a body of believers uh, believe in the sanctity of human life, that life is a gift uh, from God, that that belief uh, that we have uh, goes from a a child in the womb all the way till the very last moment that we breathe our last breath. Um, Again, we believe in that that across that spectrum, the, the wonderful gift that God gives of life. And here at First Church, we try not to just let that be rhetoric, not just something that we say. We really try to flesh that out. We want to to live that. We want to embrace that. We want to uh, let that belief become a part of our actions and even uh, where we allocate finances. One of the great examples of that is LifePlan. LifePlan is a wonderful ministry, a key partner. We support them financially uh, through our tithe uh, dollars. Uh, And they uh, do some amazing work in our region, working to support and love on individuals that, in many instances, are making very, very difficult decisions when they choose life. And we want to come alongside them. We want to be helpful to them. Again, not just be people of rhetoric, but we really want to love on and help and to be there for people. So we have people that uh, support that ministry. We have people that volunteer in that ministry. We have people that are counselors to people that, that come in through the, the doors of that ministry. We uh, sometimes stuff trucks and, and help with supplies for babies and diapers and formula and bassinets and all the things that, uh, that uh, people, again, that are making for them, in many cases, are very, very difficult decisions. We want to come alongside because we believe that, again, our, 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 what we believe should not stop at these doors, that, that what we say we believe and we stand on, but then if it doesn't really impact the way that we interact and love on our world and how we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. So we really want to follow up with uh, not just what we say, but what we do and what we, what we uh, live out. So we believe that uh, life, as we think about it, that idea is founded in God's Word. God's Word reminds us, the psalmist writes, that you were knit together in your mother's womb, uh, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. I think of, of John uh, when he uh, is in the womb and, and, and Jesus is in the womb of Mary. It says when they, they came, uh, when those two moms came together, that he leapt in his mother's womb. There's something beautiful about life, and we believe that. As followers of Christ, we believe also, it's one of our core values, that we have been called to serve the least of these, that we've been called to advocate for the marginalized, to to help those and come alongside those that that see their situation as hopeless. And we want to come into those moments and into those times and to be, again, the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that, again, is one of our core values as a church. And so not only do we want to extend our beliefs beyond these walls and Uh, and being helpful when, again, someone is making what for them is a very difficult decision for life and to come alongside and help in very practical ways. But we also want what we believe to extend even uh, to voting booths. And so in Michigan, there's a proposal that's on the ballot uh, that's coming up in the next election uh, cycle, next voting cycle, uh, Proposition 3. And that proposition would amend the state's constitution, uh, giving 
uh, what many have called the unfettered access to abortion across the state would, um, uh, in that the constitutional tweak, would uh, invalidate uh, the existing laws that have been put in place through the years uh, regulating abortion, whether that's parental consent laws, or whether that's late-term abortion and things around that, uh, whether who and where uh, abortions take place, all those things. So again, I simply want to call us, church, to live our lives in submission, not to, not to the rhetoric of our age, not to not what what not what just what what people would say and the pressures of society. But friends, we must be people who stand on God's word first. That that must be where we start, and that's where we must go, and we must listen and prayerfully uh, just try to discern what does God's word have to say, and we have to live in submission to that truth regardless of the consequences of that. That that must be central to who we are as followers of Jesus. And so I would just call you to prayerfully listen, uh, to prayerfully live your lives both inside these walls and outside these walls, to listen to the Lord and just to, to, to be led by the Spirit and to do what He calls you to do. So as relates to Proposition 3, I just encourage you to pray, to actually read the proposal for yourself uh, and then and read that uh, as you are prayerfully, you know, trying to figure it all out. And then I would call us to let God's word be our authority. And I would uh, even say to you, uh, church, to join me in voting no uh, when that, uh, for that proposition or against that proposition. Again, we, <laughs> we are God's people. And we are that first. And so what does God's word say? And can we and will we? choose to trust him and his word. Even those moments, and I, I get that probably there are some that are here today, and you're struggling with that, and you maybe came in with a different opinion, and, and, and we, we're, we, that's okay. We just want, I just want to call you to look at God's word, prayerfully consider, and let the Spirit lead as we move forward with that. So let's get back to God's word. God's word, uh, as we think about this struggle that is real, uh, in the story of Job. Uh, again, turn with me to chapter 2 of Job. And last week we talked about Job and how he had lost everything. He uh, saved his, his, his health, but uh, even in that loss, he continues to articulate his faith. The words that he uses as he falls on his face, having lost all of his worldly possessions, lost his children, he, he says, you know, save for everything but his health, he says this in that first chapter, naked I came into my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's struggle did not end in chapter 1. We have here in chapter 2 that his, he, he was not at the end of his rope because we will see him, I think, probably get to the end of his rope as we talk today about what's going on in his life. The opposition mounts. So it's not just Satan that will, will be part of his opposition, but we will see others that will come and will be a part of that, just that group that is pushing him toward as Satan was trying to get him to renounce his faith and curse God. We will see others that will join in that chorus. I would just challenge us as we look at this, if you are here today and you're struggling and there's some depression or discouragement or disillusionment of some, in some way, that you would just be open to letting God encourage you today. 
to let this story encourage you today to hang on, to, to, to continue to respond in faith, even in the dark night of the soul when you don't understand and there's a struggle and, and you don't get it and all of that, you continue to hang on. And the second thing I would say is we look at this story and we see people that come into Job's life to support him supposedly and they do some good, but then they really go off the rails. That, that who might God be asking you to come alongside and to help? to be a part of their support network as they are going through that dark night of the soul. Who might God be calling you to be a blessing to? So with that in mind, let's look at Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And, the Satan, and Satan also came uh, among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, some of you were here last week. You're like, you read that last week. That's chapter, I thought that, did you make a mistake? That sounds a lot like chapter one. And if you would say that, kudos for you for recognizing that it's pretty much exactly the same. Uh, what he's saying here. And so I would just, uh, you know, you're familiar with that. Yeah, God again is bragging on Job. And what does he say about Job? That he's blameless, that he, that he fears God, he turns away from evil, that he recycles, you know, regularly. All those super important things, Job does them. He does what's right and he doesn't do what's wrong. That's Job. And even after Satan has done his best, still Job remains faithful. And Satan thought for sure if he took his stuff and he, and he, and he lost his family and, and, and he experienced that loss that because God had removed his, uh, you know, the hedge around him and, and, and those blessings weren't coming like they had come before, that surely he's going to curse God. Satan just knew that he's going to curse God. But look at what God says in response about Job. After he'd lost everything, he says this, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me to, against him to destroy him without reason. So even with the loss of possessions and with the loss of his riches and his servants and his children, God adds the line in here as he's describing Job, Job still holds on to his integrity. Satan had been convinced that if he just loses that blessing and loses that that, uh, you know, his stuff and what he had been, uh, all the riches that he had amassed and his reputation and, and his status and all those things. As he was described in Job chapter 1 as the greatest of all those in the East. And if he wasn't that anymore, that's the only reason that he's serving and worshiping. As we think about Job, we compare him, compare him to our own lives, I think, Probably we would all admit our struggle when it seems that the blessing of God is taken away. When things don't go right and, and God doesn't seem to, to, to answer our prayer in the way, in the time frame or whatever the, that we want it answered in, what do we do in those moments? Are we able to, with Job, to continue to walk by faith? Or, or are we like those that Satan knew where he said, now, if, they, if you take the blessing away, they'll curse you. And he says that probably because he'd seen people. He knew people. And that's what happens a lot. Satan knows human nature. And again, we probably all have those moments where we've struggled ourselves. 
But hopefully we haven't abandoned our faith. Hopefully we haven't cursed God in those times. Satan just knew that if, 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 if all that happened to Job, that he would do that. But Job has a different reaction, and we saw it last week when he worships. So again, what about us? In those moments of discouragement and disappointment and despair and depression, and when things don't go our way, will we with Job choose to worship even in that dark night of the soul? Well, Satan isn't done. The tragedy drags on. And we look at, uh, at those next verses and we see what Satan does next. Again, as this tragedy uh, drags on because Satan's not done with him. In verse 4 it says, And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan comes back for this addendum. Okay, all right. So you, you know, round one goes to you, but uh, that's because you didn't let me touch his body. If you let me touch his body, then things will be different. If he loses health, then he for sure will curse you to your face. Story reminds us of what we talked about a little bit last week, that we have an enemy, Satan, and he's like a lion and he's seeking whom he may devour, as John 10 talks about. He has this this goal of stealing, stealing and killing and destroying. He would like nothing better than to destroy our faith and to get us to the point to push us over the edge where we curse God. He absolutely would love to do that because that would hurt God ultimately. And so the tragedy drags on. And now Satan goes after Job's physical body. Look at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of pottery, talking about Job, uh, with which he, to scrape himself as he sat in the ashes. Scholars have tried to surmise, tried to figure out, okay, what exactly did he have going on physically? And there's a lot of things you could, you could uh, they've listed through, the, you know, through, through time, you know, maybe it was this or maybe it was that, and we don't know exactly, and we won't take the time to try to diagnose what was going on, but we know it was bad. Really bad. For the most part, I've had a pretty healthy life, except for some, I've had a few bonehead times in my life. I made some decisions that ended up not turning out so well for me. For instance, when we were, Chris and I, we were first married, uh, I had been a pastor in Oklahoma uh, in college, and so we had moved to a church in, in Illinois, and we had some friends, some kid, kids that we were in the youth group when we were youth pastors, and they were graduating, and so we'd driven back over through the night to be at their graduation. And so, driven through the night, this friend that we're staying at, they had a pool, and so we'd swam. And then uh, it was a hot, beautiful Oklahoma day. And so I, they had a trampoline, so I climbed out on the trampoline to dry off. And I laid with my back on the trampoline, and I fell, I remember we had driven all night, I fell asleep for a couple hours, baking in the Oklahoma sun. And how about you? But I've got this flat little spot on my chest right between my, my, my breastbone right here. And with that part of my body, I don't know about you, but when that gets sunburned really bad, it is the most horrific experience imaginable. And that, it was just so, it was, just, it was itching like crazy as we're driving on the Oklahoma Turnpike going home. It was just it, almost maddening. A couple years ago, we were with family, and we were all, uh, had all come together, and we're out at this beach in uh, uh, South Carolina, 
And it was an overcast day, and we were out on the beach having some fun, and the boys and I, and Jacob, our youngest son, has the same skin tone as me, which is basically you go out in the sun, you get burnt, then you come inside, and it turns white the next day, and then, you know, that, I, it never gets brown, just like red, white, red, white. So, uh, it was overcast, so I did, and I'm, I mean, religious about putting sunscreen on, okay? So, we're out, and it was overcast, didn't really think about it, and we got burnt really, really bad, both Jacob and I. We had blisters on our skin. I don't know if you've ever been sunburned that bad. And uh, it got so bad, Jacob and I, that Crystal had, we were like in the car and we're like just miserable. She, she drove us to a uh, walk-in clinic where we got this, uh, this, this medication, pre- prescription medication to put, they had to keep in the refrigerator to like slather on our body. It was the most horrific experience. It's called the devil's itch. It's really a thing. Look it up. You can Google it later. The devil's itch or, or hell's itch. You feel like that's where you're at. And I don't know what Job was, what was going on with Job. Some of you have had shingles. And that's a, I understand, just a horrific thing, shingles. So Job had something that was horrible. Job is described as he's sitting there in ashes. Maybe even the, imagine that, the ashes from, from his from his homes and his, his things that had burnt to the ground. Imagine him sitting there in what is the just burned out hulk of something that used to be his. And as he's sitting there in this, in the, in the middle of all of that with his head shaved, sitting in those ashes, just his, his clothes torn. We, we saw that description in this horrific skin disorder that he now has. It says that he takes a piece of pottery and he's just like scraping his skin Conceivably, probably just to try to get the itching, the crazy, whatever is going on with his skin to stop. He would later describe himself in Job 19, his physical condition that continued to deteriorate. He describes himself uh, as just skin and bones. It's where we get the term skin and bones came from Job's words. Job 19, verse 19, my close friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of of my teeth, another phrase we use today. I've barely survived. I'm skin and bones. And just when we think it can't get any worse, the support network arrives. The cavalry has arrived. Comforters begin showing up that, you know, we think of comforters, we think people that are going to help us, are going to walk alongside us, going to make it better. And here he is at his darkest moment, and the first member of the support network arrives, and it's his wife. Look at verse 9. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. That's an encouragement. Not exactly what I would think that Crystal would say to me. Uh, I would hope. Um, it, it, but that's what she says. But he said, and then he replies back to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we, shall we, not, shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. How curse God and die was, was his first comforter that Scripture records that shows up. It, it's like that, that she, it seems like she's, that Satan is using her to push Job over the edge toward that place of cursing God. That's, she literally calls him to curse God. That was Satan's agenda. 
Mrs. Job, we don't have her name. We don't know exactly what her name is, so we're going to call her Mrs. Job. So Mrs. Job um, has gotten some really bad press through the centuries of those that have, have uh, written about her commentators. Uh, Augustine said this. He referred to her as diabolic adrutrix. Now, you don't have to know Latin to know that is not a compliment, okay? Uh, he's calling her, Augustine was, the devil's advocate or the devil's assistant, he calls her. Uh, St. Aquinas said of, uh, of, of her that Satan had spared her life so that he could use her for his purpose of employing her as his tool to, again, push Job toward cursing God. I would propose that as we think about Job's wife that we probably ought to cut her some slack. I mean, let's just think about what's going on with Job, Job's wife, Mrs. Job. She has lost all of her worldly possessions as well. She has lost her children as well. And when we think about being supportive of individuals that are going through grief and depression or seasons of discouragement, that adage that hurting people hurt people is true. It's more than just a clever phrase. Uh, Wilson said this, hurt people hurt people is more than a clever phrase. It's a sad truth. And it certainly was a sad truth for Mrs. Job. But again, what does Job do? As an inspiration to us, Job chooses to respond in the midst of all that he is experiencing. As he ties a, you know, a knot at the end of his rope and he hangs on, verse 10 says, as he replies back, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Well, now the support is just pouring in. We see in verse 11. And now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came, each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanthite. And they came, or they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. It's interesting that verse 12 says that, that when they are far, you know, far off, far enough to, that they should, been, should have been able to recognize Job, they don't even recognize him. When we're going through depression and discouragement and those dark nights of the soul, sometimes it's not just mentally or in our heart internally that we have struggled and it impacts us, but even physically. And that's what we see is he's impacted physically. You think about all that's gone on in his grief as they can't even recognize him as it impacts his life in this, again, this dark night of the soul between his grief and he shaved his head and he's got this now skin condition and he described himself as just skin and bones hanging onto life by the skin of his teeth. They don't even recognize him. And they raised their voice and they wept and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. Just like Job's wife hasn't gotten a lot of great press. Job's friends, hasn't, they've not gotten a lot of great press through the ages as well. Notice, though, before we get into what, maybe they, where they messed up, notice what they do right, because I, I think we need to give them credit for this. The first thing, just notice that they come. They decide to come, and when someone's going through a really tough time, I mean, if we're just honest, how many times have we just thought, you know what, I don't know what to say. 
I, you know, that's such a hard situation. Uh, maybe, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure someone else is going to go. I'm sure someone else will support them. I'm sure someone else will call. I'm sure someone else will, will stop by. I, I don't know what to say. I'm really busy. And so we just don't. And our excuses overpower even that sense that we should do something. Well, Job's friends, to their credit, do something. They, they show up, they make an appointment, and they come. And notice what they do when they come. It says that they, basically, the description is them entering into his pain. They tear their clothes like Job did. They sit in the ashes like Job did. They put the ashes on their head. They weep, it says, with him. They spend days with him. And it says that they, that they uh, comfort him. They show him sympathy, it says. Scripture says they did all of this because what was the description? They saw that his, uh, that his, uh, they saw that his suffering was great, very great. And friends, sometimes when people are struggling and people are going through that dark night of the soul, they don't need us to come in and give them a bunch of well, here's what you ought to do. They don't necessarily need a bunch of advice. They don't need necessarily our words. What they need, they need our presence. And they need, at times, our silence. They need us to just show up. And maybe even when we show up, we say just what our struggle, that, you know, I don't know what to say to you. I really don't. I'm so sorry about what's going on. But I just felt like I needed to be here with you. And know I'm praying for you. How would that help? Most of the book of Job we're familiar with. It's a series, the rest of it, it's a series of conversations between Job and his friends. That's really the, the bulk, the lion's share of this book. And whereas they start off great as they come and they're supportive and they, they sit there in silence, now the support network goes bad when they start talking. <laughs> Things sometimes the, cart, the wheels fall off the cart when we actually start talking. Um, uh, we, we don't do so well. Uh, we're better at just silence and, you know, hanging out and being there for people. Uh, but notice, starting in chapter 4, uh, there's a series of conversations. And, and basically it goes this way. So uh, the, the first friend says something, and then Job responds. And then the second friend says something, and Job responds. The third friend says something, and Job responds. And this goes through three cycles in order of a friend talking, Job responds. Friend talking, Job responds. And so that happens three times, and that's the lion's share again of the book. And then at the end, there's this fourth guy that shows up, this younger guy, Scripture tells us, and he just blows everybody out of the water. Like, you're all, you're all wrong. And here's, let me come in and tell you what, what you need to know. And we won't get into that fourth guy. Let's just focus on those three friends. And these three friends, God, when he talks about them, and we see him talking about them in chapter 42. It says that God is angry with them because they had not spoken what is right. So their advice was not good. What they say was not good. Job describes them, this network of his that goes bad in Job 16, verse 3, that they are miserable comforters. <laughs> miserable comforters is his description. Here, let me just give you, just so we get a sense, a sampling real quick of this advice that they give. The first guy uh, in, talks in chapter 4, it's Eliphaz. And Eliphaz says, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? He's like, I've sat here long enough. I can't stand it any longer. I need to tell you what's up. I need to set you straight, Job, and help you understand uh, what's wrong. And then 
Uh, and he, he's very long-winded. He goes for a couple chapters. And then in chapter 5, verse 8, first part of it, here's what he says. As for me, I would. Now, if you're thinking about going and trying to be a support to someone, this is exactly what not to do. To show up and say, you know what? If I were in your shoes, this is what I would do. That's typically not what people need when they're going through that dark night of the soul. Uh, showing up uninvited and then telling them what they need to do. Not super helpful most of the time. If you're a trained counselor, you know that's not what you were taught. What you were taught is not to sit the person down and tell them as, after they've shared the kind of the gist of the, the issue, not to say, okay, get a pen and paper. I'm going to give you three things that you need to do now to fix that thing. That's not how counseling works. You sit and you listen, you ask probing questions, and you try to help that person to come to some conclusion that's going to be helpful to them moving forward, not just regurgitating what you think they need to do. Look at the second member of the support network. It's Bildad the Shuhite, and he replies to Job, how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well deserved. Is that not shocking? That he would say, this guy would say to a guy that lost his children, you know what? They got what they deserved. Horrible, horrible advice. Not helpful. And then the third guy. And the third guy says to uh, Job, listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserved. In other words, Job, you ought to be grateful that this is all that's happened to you. Again, horrible, horrible advice. As we think about someone that God might send us to that's discouraged or depressed or despondent, they don't need to hear what Job heard from his friends. And it reminds us at the same time that when we're going through struggle, that we all at times need support. That God wired us up to need one another too. And we had that series not long ago where we talked about how we need one another. And it's great that they showed up and there's some great things that they did early on to, to, to sit with Job and to comfort him and to, to be an encouragement to him and, and a lot of silence and just a lot of support and, and entering into his grief with him and weeping with him. And just a great reminder, all of us at times need support. We listed last week some different ways that you might get support whether it's professional counseling or a Stephen minister here at uh, First Church or a member of the pastoral staff or, or a, a small group that you might get into, a table group or a women's study or a, a men's Bible study or a group that meets on Sunday morning or a friend that you know that, that, that would just come alongside you to not push people away, to be willing to get support. And as you think about that, that you might need that support, I just remind us of something that we see a couple times as God talks about Job. Remember what he says about Job. Have you considered chapter 2? My servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity. And so let's clearly understand Job was not enduring what he was enduring because of some judgment of God, because of some evil that he had done. He's blameless and upright and he fears God and he turns away from evil and he holds on to the 
on an integrity in the face of struggle. In short, this God-fearing guy was going through a dark night of the soul. So life is not just cause and effect. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. You do something good, something good will happen to you. That's not the way God said this world works. This was very, very hard for Job. In fact, as we look at what he says about himself, he describes in chapter 3 just his brokenness. Let me just read a couple verses. At last Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let the day be turned into darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it, and let the darkness terrify it. He's talking about the day of his birth. Let that night be blotted off the calendar, never again to be counted among the days of the year, never again to appear among the, among the months. He's wishing he had never been born. And so he's just being real in his pain and his brokenness. He'd lost all of his material wealth. He'd lost his family. His wife has turned and telling him to curse God. His friends who showed up at first and were so helpful, now they're giving all this horrible advice like, it's your fault and you did it and that's, that's the reason. And now his health is, is gone. And Job reminds us that good godly people sometimes that are living holy lives have struggles. And friends, we need to get this. Jesus reminded us, reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount that rain falls on the just and the unjust. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but this world is not our home. Heaven, remember, is the place where there's no tears, there's no more crying. That's that, that place of, you know, eternal, you know, the, the awesome place that God has prepared for us. This world is not that. And until we get there, we will not experience that. And that's what Job was experiencing. And I just want to encourage you that in the midst of those times, that God wants us to, to lean on each other, to help one another, that we all at times need a support. And again, it comes in many forms, and we talk about that. But please, don't put this, this wall up and not be willing to find some help. Now, one final little thing as we conclude. As we look at Job's life, his loss, his desperation, the journey that he's on through that dark night of the soul, we see, as we said, people coming into his life that, that, that are there for him. Again, it, things go bad and it goes off the rails and that help and we get all that and the bad advice they give. But I just want us to ask ourselves the question as we look at Job's story, who maybe in your life is God asking you to be a support to? Who maybe in your life is going through that dark night of the soul? I think of the picture of Jesus. I love it. Jesus had heard that this friend of his, Lazarus, was not doing well physically. And so eventually he makes his way to the town where Lazarus lived. When he gets there, Lazarus already died. They had put him in a tomb his sister comes to meet Jesus, and she's broken. Now, in that moment, that exchange, as Jesus first encounters Mary, as she comes, and she's like, if you had only been here, and, and as she's just, just in her brokenness, Jesus doesn't immediately say, you know what? It's okay. Stop crying. It's, I got it. I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's all good. That's not what he does. What does he do? What is our Savior? What's the example that he leaves us? 
it says that Jesus wept. The first thing is not a bunch of how I'm going to fix it. The first thing is Jesus wept. And who in your life is going through that dark night of the soul? And maybe you've struggled because you don't want to say, you don't want to do or whatever. And maybe what God's calling you to do is just be there. And to weep with them. And to hold their hand and to grieve with them and enter into their pain. Not necessarily, well, I'm here and I'm here to help you figure this out. Here's what you should do, like one of Job's friends. Not here, like, well, did, is there something that is wrong in your life? Is there some sin that you got going on that's some secret, whatever? Maybe that's why all this has happened. Not trying to talk them to death like Job's friends did. But maybe what they need is lots of empathy or silent support or prayers or listening ear. And as God leads and as is appropriate, that on, based on the foundation of God's word, we share some truth based on God's word that would be helpful to them. God uses us to help one another. We need one another. Who might need your support? I invite our worship team to come back up as we just process through all of that. And I would say to you, as they're coming up, maybe you're here today and you're like Job and you feel, I mean, you even maybe you feel like, you know, Job had some stuff going on, but, but I've got some stuff going on. And it is the dark night of the soul for you and you can't seem to catch a break and you don't understand. And there's a lot of questions that you have. I just want to encourage you today. So maybe you could identify it with Job in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his pain, that he chooses by faith to continue to hang on. And I just want to encourage you today to hang on, like Job did, to, to in the midst of that struggle, to hang on and let that be a place that you start to invite God into as you walk through the valley of shadow death that God uh, it's dark and and I can't see you with me but no friend he's been there all along and as you reach out to him he is there he said I will walk with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death Jesus told us in this world you will have trouble and so friends when that trouble comes don't be surprised he told us it would happen but he also told us that he would be with us. That he would put on us more than we could bear. That he'd walk with us in those times. And so, in the midst of the unanswered questions and the struggles, will you, as we, we're going to say a couple songs, as we conclude, will you just reach out to him and just talk to him and just invite him into your pain and into your struggle? Secondly, maybe you're here today. Maybe someone is in your life and you, you, maybe you don't have recognized someone yet or maybe you have. And I just want to encourage you to be open again as we sing these next songs to just be open to have a conversation with God and God, who in my life could you use me to help? You use me to sit with, to encourage, to love on in your name. Who do you want me to be you with skin on, to wrap my arms around them, to love on them, to help them? Who is that person? Tell me and I'll go. Even though it'll be awkward and I don't know what to say, but God, I'm going to be obedient because I get that that's what you want me to do. Who is that person? And finally today, if you're going through that dark night of the soul, maybe you're there and you've pushed people away and you've been unwilling to find help. 
whether it's a professional counselor, whether it's a Stephen minister, or whether it's uh, calling out to a pastor, or whether it's joining a group where you can uh, find some people, some like-minded people that you can do life with, or maybe it's a friend that you've, you've not returned their calls and they've been trying. I don't know, but will you be open to letting someone enter into your pain, your struggle with you in that dark night of the soul? God wired us up to need one another. Will you be open to that today? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, God, whether we're on the other end of a computer screen or in this room or by radio, God, I pray today that you would help us to sense you are with us in the dark night of the soul. And that, God, we, we have those moments and we just want to just reach out to you and say, God, will you walk with me through this? Will you be my help? I, I don't know where my help comes from, but my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Will you be that for me, God? God, God, as I am walking through this, I know that you'll be there for me, but God, would you please send someone into my life and I'll be open as you send them to, to help me walk through this valley. And, I, and God, I pray that you'd help that individual to just be willing to reach out, whether it's a professional counselor or whatever, God, whatever the need is, I pray, Father, you just help them to be willing to reach out. And God, to, to the church, the people that call upon you and your sacred name as followers of your son, God, I pray in these final moments that you would put on our heart those individuals in our lives that you want us to love on, to reach out to, to be the hands and the feet of your Son. Speak to us now in the concluding moments of this time that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.